Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. Today we'll be in the last part of chapter 21 of 2 Samuel. Two weeks ago we began the last major division of 2 Samuel. We could call this a kingdom in God's hands, chapters 21 through 24. And this part of 2 Samuel gives us great insight into how we are to regard God's kingdom. And we do that as we see the kingdom that David reigned in, which points to and typifies God's eternal kingdom in many, many ways. In other words, God wants us to learn something, some more things about him and his kingdom through the example here at the end of 2 Samuel, which as we talked about Two weeks ago, many people almost disregard as being disjointed and not having any theme at all. Specifically, there are six sections in these four chapters, and they're beautifully written and aligned in such a way that those of you who enjoy literary nuances will especially appreciate, but we're going to mention them here so that we all can grow a little bit in our appreciation of how God writes his word. What's going on here, this style is not haphazard. These six sections actually mirror one another, and each of these sections is about a particular sin and how it was stopped. Section one was about previous sin of Israel in section 6 at the end of 2 Samuel is about a sin of David. And then we have sections 2 and 5 that mirror each other. Both of these sections are about the humans that God used to accomplish his purposes in David's kingdom. Today in section 2, which is verses 15 through 22 here in chapter 21, we learn about the four servants of David who killed four Philistine giants. Yes, they are still around. One of which is probably was probably Goliath's brother. And then later in section 5, the mirror image, we have a list of David's mighty men. And then the two sections in the middle of these six, three and four, sections three and four, Both are words from David. Section 3, which is chapter 22, is David's song of praise. And then section 4, in the next chapter, the first seven verses of chapter 23, contains David's last words. So if you step back and you look here at the end of 2 Samuel, there's a lot going on. But this big picture will help you see how God arranged it so that we can kind of get more understanding about God's kingdom and what it means, who he is, how he reigns, and what David's kingdom points to, the kingdom of Christ on the throne. 
The titles given to our sections, our sections today are usually uh, brief, but right to the point. You might look in your in your Bibles and see what this section is called. We have uh, David's heroes in one version, and then we have human agents of David's success. You might note that usually in that Bible, if you're reading it, I know some of you are, uh, this is the more academic explanation of this section. And then we have heroic ex- exploits, and we've got a favorite of mine that I found uh, from one commentator that simply says, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. If you're able, would you please stand as I read Second Samuel 21, verses 15 through verse 22. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary, and Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed seven and a half pounds of bronze, and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jar, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. And he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe seated. I know many of you are wondering what are we in for today? And I was kind of laughing at the irony that my two grandsons are in California right now, and I know they would have perked up big time reading this particular section. The context here is pretty straightforward. There's four wars with the Philistines. And each one centers around a Philistine champion who we could say was rather large. We don't know exactly when these wars were. But they were probably, they probably occurred 
more towards the end of David's reign. You might be wondering why or how the Philistines kept this revolting behavior going. Because as we've been going through both 1st and 2nd Samuel, back in 2nd Samuel 8, we read in the first verse there, after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. So what are they still doing? Fighting. Following giants. Well, it seemed like they stayed subdued until they mustered up some courage, usually centered around another Goliath, a giant-type military figure, obviously, and they just couldn't lose with this guy leading them, so let's try again, is sort of the mentality. Now, in verse 15 through 17, we not only have the account of the encounter with Ishbi Binob, have to practice that a while. One of the descendants of the giants, but also the emphasis on how David's servants, you notice, were intent on preserving his life, David's life. And it seems like Ishbi Binab was zeroing in on David, trying to take him out in this battle. And our text says that David grew weary with this in verse 15. Well, check out Ishbi Binob's weapons. His spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, and I just went ahead and said that's about seven and a half pounds when I read the text there in verse 16. And he had a brand new sword. And the way the account reads, even though it's brief, it shows how close a call this was for the king. Very close if his men responded the way that they did. To the rescue comes someone we've been reading about for quite a while now, Abishai, the son of Zeruah. And he has been all over the place in this book. Barely in his brother's Joab's shadow. Yes, remember the brothers? There's actually three. These guys are all over the text of this, of this book. All that's recorded about Abishai's heroics is that he came to David's aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. And again, we see the matter-of-factness about these warriors, especially about Abishai and his brother, as we've been reading for weeks and weeks and weeks. He just stepped in and got the job done, killing a giant, a giant with incredible weapons, large, new weapons. But again, the point here is that David's life was in very real danger, and God used his servants to preserve his king's life. Let me say that again. The point is that David's life was in real danger and God used his servants to preserve his king's life. The stakes were too high for David to be in the middle of these battles, so his troops decided for him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now, are you catching the tone here? If this is at the end of David's life, why was he so eager to be there? 
Because one time in his life, when he should have been there, we find the story about Bathsheba. So there's all sorts of motivation in David at the end of his life to learn from his previous mistakes and fulfill his responsibilities as the king. But these guys step in. His, his heart was in the right place here. But as many of us are finding out, when you start losing physical prowess, if there was any at all in the first place, you really put your kingdom in danger. Now, we see here at the end of this explanation a very interesting phrase. You shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. This, this metaphor, this metaphorical phrase, lamp of Israel, expresses the belief that Israel's hope and promise of blessing reside where? In David and his house. Lamp symbolizes life and prosperity, and here David himself is the lamp. Other passages imply that the ongoing line of Davidic kings constituted a lamp to David. And in Psalm 132, verse 17, there we see lamp used to refer to the final Davidic king who is the Messiah. Through the line of David. And that's the point of the, all these passages as we know that the Old Testament points to Christ as he explained to the two on the road to Emmaus. Well, right here, it's, it's not subtle if we know the word, which is why we're highlighting Lamp of Israel, and, and it makes us realize what this is really all about. One of the ways that we can be encouraged in our faith, any of you need encouragement in your faith? The Bible offers it. The Bible is God's way to have us feast upon his grace. What is it? Do you go here? Are you hearing this? One of the ways we can be encouraged in our faith is to remember some of the times, because there's many times in Scripture when God's whole redemptive plan rested on the preservation of one person. No problem for God, but the drama is great. Because if we realize that God promised this, and how could he come from this line if this person died? It's not going to happen. Then we see how dramatic this is. And it should grab our hearts. For example, there never would have been a covenant seed if Isaac had been terminated in Genesis 22. His father knew the promise, but he was willing to obey God 
and offer the sacrifice, God saw his faithfulness and stopped him. Isaac said, what's going on? Obviously, probably more than that. And they looked for a ram in the bush because they knew what God would provide the sacrifice there because the promise was through. Isaac. Israel never would have been liberated if an Egyptian princess had dropped the baby Moses into the river and let him drown. Israel would have plummeted into disaster if Ishbi Binab had been allowed to run David through with that massive spear and a sword here in 2 Samuel 21. And none of God's flock would have had salvation had not the real king of the Jews saved the Savior when he was a baby. When the evil King Herod had all the baby boys killed for he knew Jesus was was to be. These stories go on and on and on and on. Somehow the God of heaven has always been up to the challenge. He always preserves the seed or deliverer or the king. Now, knowing that, What do you think about this story at the end of chapter 21? Do you see how this points to this same historical record of God preserving what he promised to preserve in order to have the Messiah, his son, come according to the prophecies, to the T, so that he could live the perfect life and do the work necessary to be the atonement for our sins? Now, another important thing to see in this passage is how, God, how God's servants are honored. Did you pick that up? We don't really know much, much about these four men's spiritual condition, do we? But we do see them honored as God's servants because they fought for God's covenant people Under, and here's the important part again, the Lord's anointed king. Notice that each man is identified by his full name. Abishai, the son of Zeruah, verse 17. In verse 18, Sibachai, the Hushathite, Hushathite, verse 18 there. Elhanan the son of Joar, verse 19. And note there that the giant he killed was probably the brother of Goliath, which some texts include, which is what the parallel text in verse in 1 Chronicles 20, verse 5 actually says. So sometimes in the paraphrased versions, because it confirms this in Chronicles, I go ahead and and make a note of it here. 
This is the brother of Goliath. And Jonathan, the son of Shimei, is an interesting case because Shimei is David's third oldest brother. And when the prophet was picking out who God was going to call to be the next king, remember all the brothers were there, David wasn't, he was the little brother. And they list them, going through it. And this is the third oldest, Shimei, and Jonathan is his son. So who is Jonathan to David? His nephew. And he sort of, could we say, followed in his uncle's footsteps? Wouldn't let this giant taunt Israel and Israel's God. Have we forgotten David and Goliath? What incensed him? The dishonor and disrepute that was being hurled at God's people, his army, and himself by Goliath. How big he was didn't make any difference at all to David. Well, it sounds like this nephew had exactly the same reaction. Now, even though all praise belongs to God, his instruments should nevertheless receive honorable mention which is what he does here. We see this all over the New Testament as well, especially in the letters where greetings and little descriptive capsules are given of many people. Let's look at one of those. Romans 16, if you want to turn there. Now this goes all the way through verse 15, first 15 verses. Well, you just read this and notice how Paul writes here, Romans 16. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. Now think about that for a second. If you were going to have your name in Holy Scripture, in what way and in what list would you want it? And why would you want it to be positive? Because if you're sold out to the Lord God who saves you in Christ Jesus alone, you would want God to get the glory. Verse 3. Greet Prisca and Achilla or Priscilla and Achilla, and my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanitas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. And you go, if you look, there's about, there's, I don't know, I didn't count them. Looks like 10 to 20 more names 
just going through the first 15 verses. There are places where it is entirely appropriate. This reflects the attitude that we need to think about. It's a great honor and privilege to serve our king with you, is what Paul is saying. Fellow leaders, fellow worshipers, fellow learners, fellow partners in prayer, fellow servants. Don't forget that. There is another important emphasis in this passage. What what is accomplished in all this? All of these Philistines are said to be descended from the giants. It says... That in verse 22, and it implies that in verse 16, 18, and 20. The place of this account in 2 Samuel seems to indicate that these four giants were possibly the last of their kind, known as Rephaim or Anakim elsewhere in the Old Testament. They were noted for their incredible size. They had been driven from the hill country, but had remained in several Philistine cities. The victory over these giants, the champions of the Philistines, these were descended from the Rephaim, and that points directly to the Lord's promise, a promise that we can find in Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21, which is God's covenant with Abram. Let me read that, Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring... I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Parasites. That's two Z's. Although it probably fits. What's the next one? The Rephaim. the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites. So do you see what's going on here? Do you see how this points directly to the Lord's reliability and His faithfulness in keeping His promise? In 2 Samuel 3, verse 18, we read this. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of whom? The Philistines. And from the hand of all their enemies. You know, most people are so familiar with David and Goliath and maybe some of the early stories of David trying to get away from from Saul who was trying to kill him that they don't know about this end part of 2 Samuel and realize that he This is when it was finally done. What Saul's regime could not do, 
David, by God's power, actually accomplished. So, in this very brief report on some of David's heroes, we see again that what the Lord promises at the first, he brings about at the last. God is with David. David is his anointed king. God's early promises prove firm even to the end. Do you need to hear that today? I do. God's early promises prove firm even to the end. Now, let's go back a minute and notice, did you notice anything unusual about that fourth giant? We don't have his name, but we do have a very vivid picture of him that makes children smile and look up at their parents and going, really? I'm watching. Man of great stature, descended from the giants, six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. But that's not the most important thing. What is the most important thing? What matters about this giant is not his great size or extra fingers or toes. What matters is his attitude. That is what is highlighted here. Verse 21, he taunted Israel. In other words, Taunted means to reproach, to defy, to mock, to deride. Trash talk is the modern equivalent. It's disrespect. And it sounds like exactly what David heard from the mouth of Goliath when David was a youth. The point here is still the same. So let's just come out and say it. Those who trash talk the Lord and his people will be silenced. This is just another installment of something that we've seen over and over as we've been in the Old Testament. Of It's another installment of the Lord showing us what will come. It's another assurance of what will be. It's another picture along the way of how it will be at the end. And we need to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And one place we hear that is in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. That points to this truth. There we read, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Who needs to know this in our day? 
It wasn't that long ago where Christians were pretty much respected in this land. We say pretty much because obviously there was pockets everywhere where that was not true. Parents, do you understand that the world your children are growing up in now is not the same place that you grew up in? The attitudes have changed. The hatred is more vehement. It's more out there. It's more in their face. What do your children need to know about your God? That even though it may not happen in our lifetime, Christ will come and there will be a final judgment. And those things will be rectified. We may be called to stand in the meantime. It seems like every other day there's arguments about bullying in schools. Some of you have been the recipients of that. I was. I was really small for my age. In junior high school, some friends and people became men in eighth grade, and it was just wrong. So Jim was especially interesting place, especially when the way uh, it was done in those days, people that had become juvenile delinquents before they were in sixth or seventh grade didn't tend to pass automatically. So they stayed in younger classes So not only was I small, but there was guys that were three years older in the same grade. And it was not fun to be known as a Christian, which I knew for sure about sixth or seventh grade. No other details are necessary. I think every guy in here knows what I'm talking about, and it's sad that most of the women do too. My modus operandi was, if you can catch me, then you can beat me up. But you're never going to catch me. Oh Lord, please <laughs> let them never catch me. So there was double standards everywhere. It's been going on all the time. Much of this wasn't just because of size or scholastic anything it was just because some of it was because of the knowledge that I really did believe in Christ early lesson never gone away in Luke Chapter 1, verses 30 through 33, we read this. And the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Allow the Lord to encourage you. Ponder this passage that at first glance you go, what in the world is this in my Bible for? Believe the witness. One of my favorite commentators, Dale Ralph Davis, has a quote. says, Rephaim never lie, at least the dead ones. God will accomplish it. I want to give you part B to the bullying account. God did provide a way for me to escape uh, physical persecution in middle school in the 60s was not that much different. I had a big brother that's eight years older than me. If I was in middle school, he was, oh, 19 or 20. He had a motorcycle, a Harley Sportster, which my mother did not like at all. But one day, for some reason, I had to get home quicker than I should have. And instead of riding the city bus to school, which was, again, a hotbed of all sorts of intimidation factors, I decided to ask my big brother if he could pick me up and take me home. And I said, please don't come in your car. I'd like to ride on the back of your motorcycle. So I'm standing at the bus stop, and these big guys who are trying to intimidate me beyond all anything, no place to run. You couldn't run down the city boulevard without being absolutely crazy. They were all there, huddled up, getting ready for their insults, messing. And my brother drives up in his Harley and I just looked at those guys and went over and got on the back of the motorcycle that they were all just going like this. He revved it up and tore off. I never heard one word from those guys again. What was the point? Yeah, but we have a big brother who's the king of kings. And he will make it right. At some point, we've got to stand for our Lord. Not be obnoxious. Not pick the fight. We need to stand for our Lord. And those questions will come. They're already coming. And we've got to be able to answer them and trust that God may have a special purpose for us in that person's life, even.
We don't know. But our witness may be really, really important. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come to this text in 2 Samuel and we see how you raised up people, your people, specific people, to protect your anointed king. To fulfill your previous promise about his reign. To preserve your redemptive plan. And it was nothing for you to do this. And as we live in these moments ourselves, we know the fear. We pray that you would raise up workers for the harvest that you're reaping among the hearts and souls of the people you've called to yourself before the foundation of the world. And you've called us to be a part of this process in the proclamation of the truth of who you really are, who is Christ, why we need a Savior, because we are desperately lost. All people are. And, oh God, we pray that you would use us as we become living sacrifices for you. And by our humble faith and the courage that you provide and the power of your spirit, be able to stand before you. Stand in the face of opposition in whatever form it may take. Because, Lord, you've told us that our life is in Jesus and we're just passing through here for a special purpose, but our home is eternity in your presence. Help us see what you've called us to do and be as we face a more and more hostile world. And as much as that tends to make us feel the despair of losing what was once known and experiences across the board almost, we, we give that to you as well, O oh Lord. Your purposes are so much grander than ours. We need you. We need to remember how you've kept your promises to the T, and you will always bring your promise to fruition. You will finish what you start in us. Your forgiveness in Christ is complete. Our identity is in you. And we pray that we could pass this on to the generations behind us and that we would be examples ourselves. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? Paul has a really good one in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You're dismissed.